Because then if you frame it as a growth mindset, no matter what happens to you, good, bad, or ugly, it's an opportunity for growth. And you can be successful in growing, even if you have the best, the worst day of your life, or if you have the best day of your life. Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East. Excited to have you here and join us. Today we sit down with Giorgio Tavecchio. Now this show is all about life's redirections and at some point or another we all go through them. And Giorgio and I have experienced very similar redirections. So if you don't know my story, I went to Vanderbilt, studied civil engineering, ended up getting uh, redirected away from that to go play in the NFL. And now, after that didn't really work out, we are doing uh, content full time. And so Giorgio's story is not too dissimilar. First of all, his whole journey of how he got to even play college football is really interesting and we get into that. But then his NFL journey is even more spectacular. And the perseverance that Giorgio has shown through his whole career, um, not just in football, but also outside of football, I think is just incredibly inspiring. And I'm honored to call Giorgio uh, a friend and a teammate. We first played together, my gosh, it was 2016. And Giorgio had already been through the gamut. He had played for the Lions, played for the Packers, had had some really close calls where he thought he was going to be making a team, but it hadn't worked out. And so him and I were both in this position. We were discouraged with our football careers, but we were going through it together. And uh, we definitely um, had some tough times that we worked through. Also had a lot of good memories doing a two-day camp in Napa Valley with the Raiders was something I will never forget. He and I used to go out and walk to town and get gelato. You'll notice that Giorgio is very Italian. I love his personality, and I think you will as well. I love what Giorgio has now transitioned into, which is an Italian import business where he imports the finest wine, pasta, and sauces uh, that you need to have right now if you haven't. I'm going to link it down below. It's called 1112, inspired by his uh, number in football. And he's done such a good job. The pasta is, is legitimately amazing. And I love the Barolo wine, if you want to try it out. Also, the uh, peaches and cocoa uh, dessert sauce is worth checking out. So I'm going to link that down below. That was a long intro. Usually don't do it that long. I just wanted to uh, give Giorgio a little extra love because he is a dear friend of mine. And this interview was recorded when Giorgio was actually signed to the Tennessee Titans, which he no longer is. But he is continuing his football journey while simultaneously building this company. And Giorgio, if you're listening to this, I'm proud of you. And um, I hope I've done you justice with this interview. So before we jump into it, if you haven't subscribed to the show and give it a rating, please do so on whatever platform you're listening to. Hope you enjoy this. And let's go ahead and roll into this one with Giorgio Tavecchio. Giorgio Tavecchio. Nashville is honored to be graced by your presence. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> I honestly still cannot believe that you're here. Uh, it's such a treat. And I appreciate you joining me on my show, which for those of you that don't know, Georgia and I first met in 2016. Is that right? Yeah, but are you going to tell him the truth? Which is what? He spent his honeymoon. <laughs> me. <laughs> that is... <laughs> It's honestly true. And that's, uh, truth's out. <laughs> Give the so, people the truth. Sean, Sean and I got married. Day after, I had to fly to Oakland to do uh, OTAs with the Raiders, mm-hmm. where I first met Giorgio, and uh, began what is now a four-year-long friendship. 
and, and journey of self-discovery. That's right. Yeah. So my show now, Giorgio, and I know that in all the days and nights that we spent rooming together, you always saw me on my computer probably 24-7, on my phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was because what I was doing outside of football was putting together these shows. And so this one, first of all, I'm just so glad you've joined us in person, to say the least. But uh, this is all about people's career redirections. Mm-hmm which you may or may not know a thing or two about. <laughs> so I would love if you could first set the scene for us. Where did little Giorgio grow up? What, what were your parents like? And how, what were the breadcrumb trail things that got you interested in, in what you're doing now? Oh, there's so many threads I can weave into this story. And I don't know if our kind spectators at home have, uh, have enough time for everything. But I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Andrew knows me well enough now. I can talk for days. To respond i am very honored to be on your show and the things you're working on in training camp in football are bigger than football and i want to <laughs> i want to make a point of that because i respect what you've done above and beyond football and i say above and beyond and i mean those words because it is truly is above and beyond giorgio tarecchio born in milan italy july 16th 1990 my mom is italian american she was born in new york a month after her parents arrived from italy my dad as he says fell asleep as a bachelor in Milan, woke up with two kids in America. <laughs> Maybe you know something about that. And moved a bunch as a kid back and forth between the U.S. and Italy at a young age. Finally settled in Moraga, California, which is in the Bay Area, East Bay specifically, close to San Francisco. Went to high school there. And that's when I fatefully met American football. I was growing up, loved playing soccer, and loved eating things that uh, I, I cherished from my childhood growing up around the, the dinner table for us. It was a special time and space that was to be cherished and enjoyed. And I'm very much like my mother, and you can attest to this. When I get hangry, when I, when I don't eat, when I'm hungry, I get hangry really bad, like those old Snickers commercials. And I, I would become like a Luciano Pavarotti or, you know, Bocelli or something, some big dramatic diva because I would just get really hangry. And it's my mother's fault. But on the flip side of that, when I would eat, I'd be so happy. And I'd take, you know, after lunch, you know, nice food coma. I want to blissfully ride it into a siesta. It was, to me, that physiologically, biologically wiring in me is just, I loved that experience. I do remember Giorgio would be <laughs> Giorgio would be tucking like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches down his <clears throat> pants before he went out to NFL practice. Yeah, but you know why, was, right? Because tell them the truth. <laughs> they want the truth. Giorgio was always whining about how when we were on the Raiders, the practice would be from what, eleven to one? Eleven to like one thirty. Eleven <laughs> to two. He says, Why do we have practice during lunchtime? This is what we need to 2, eat. Two thousand years of humanity. <laughs> Uh, what do you do around midday? You stop. You have something to eat. You chit chat. You reflect on the first half. Of the- no, we have to be at practice. When there's <laughs> ten hours in the rest of the day where we could be doing that, we can do it early. We can do it later. But no, right at the middle of practice. Yeah. So as I just said, I don't like being hangry. I'm a very considerate person. I know who I am when I'm hangry. I don't want other people to see that. So I just try to manage myself in that way. And that took the form of little peanut butter balls or peanut butter sandwiches. Little always had a snack. Literally, always. this guy is always prepared with food. I shared, right? I would always, I would always offer. This <laughs> uh, food is best enjoyed when you're in good company. So, what did what did your parents do? Because I, I other than being amazing cooks, both <laughs> of them, 
Yes. Sean and I had the opportunity to eat at the Tavecchio household, and it was honestly, if there's ever a meal that I tell a story about, it's <laughs> that one, which we'll get into later. But but tell me about kind of what they did. Sure. My mom worked for the American government. Um, she was in the DEA and spent a lot of time uh, in that space. Can't go into detail. <laughs> okay. But she was in that space. And my dad was an antique restorer, restored antique furniture. That's what his father did, my grandfather did, and my dad picked up the family tradition when my grandfather passed away my dad was 18 so he's very much an artisan a craftsman uh what he can do with his hands with furniture is uh is a work of beauty yeah and you played sports in high school soccer yep. and football both yep. right yeah i did and actually another thread another crumb i only started kicking footballs because of barbecue and you know me right I, I like to taste all the local flavors and barbecue is always something I have a kind of a sweet spot for literally and figuratively. It's because when I started kicking in high school, it was actually one of my buddies just randomly asked me if I want to be the kicker for the football team. That night I went home, told my mom, cause I initially told him no. So I went home, told my mother, she's like, you know what? You're also an American. You're in America. Why don't you try an American sport for once? But I think she said that because she was sick of my brother and I breaking vases and uh, picture frames and stuff around the house with little mini soccer balls. So she wanted to see something different. The next day I went to football practice with my buddy and a bunch of my buddies were on the team and it was fun. I hit a couple kicks. It was fun. But there was this, there was this smell wafting in the air. And as practice wound down, I realized uh, there was a team barbecue afterwards and I got invited because I was at practice and the ribs were divine. So I thought, ma, if I got to kick a couple of footballs to get these ribs, I'll do it. So, you're a, you're like a true romantic, and every place that you go seems to have a permanent spot in your heart, mm -hmm. including Nashville, which, yep. speaking of ribs, you did say you had the best ribs you've ever had maybe here in Nashville. Best dry rub. The best dry rub. Okay, fair enough. But uh, we had the pleasure of getting a tour of the Bay Area from you uh, <laughs> a couple years ago, and you took us through your, your high school and, and uh, Cal, Cal, which Berkeley. is where you went to, yeah. which is where you went to college. Tell us about... Why did you go? How did you end up at Cal? What were you studying there? Like, what, what was your intention to do after college? And then, uh, yeah, what, what ended up happening? Sure. I was a dual sport threat in high school, <laughs> soccer and, and uh, kicking. But I was much more of a soccer player, actually. That was more of my passion. I enjoyed kicking. I enjoyed the barbecue and I joined my team. But it was more soccer focus. And I thought that's where my path in college was going to take me. So I started to get recruited for, for soccer, but really not that much for football because I really didn't hit puberty until just before my senior year. And all of a sudden, my senior year of high school, I'm kicking touchbacks and hitting 50-yard field goals. But bangers. I was, bangers. <laughs> respectfully, bangers. But I was, I was late in the recruiting game, you know, didn't know how to really hustle myself and wasn't getting many looks. But being close to Cal Berkeley, I attended one of their summer kicking camps the summer before my senior year just to kind of work on things and try to be the best kicker I could be and turned out that I, I wasn't uh, the best kicker there, but I was among the best. And I think something stayed in the Cal coach's mind that you know, I was, had a lot of potential, was very underdeveloped, um, but they remembered me for some reason. You know, they said, they used to call me you know, salami. And I think it was more because of my long curly hair, which isn't quite as long as it, as, or it was longer than it is now. There's some pictures out there that, and you know, for my short shorts, my soccer shoes, like all that, I was very much like, ah, pizza pasta, you know. But lo and behold, don't get recruited at all during my senior season of football, even though I had a great season. Start going to play you know, soccer, back to soccer, and I have a great soccer senior season at high school, and then team makes it to the finals of the state championships and everything for soccer. And I start to get recruited for soccer. 
nothing happens for football. So I kind of just mentally move on and I just start focusing more on soccer. Then May 28th, 4.01 p.m. of my senior year. Now, mind you, I graduate high school in two, two weeks. I get a phone call and it's from the special teams coach at Cal. He goes, hey, this is so-and-so. It was Pete Alomar at the time. We have a last-minute walk-on spot uh, if you're interested. You know, this is Cal Berkeley. And I said, oh, man, this is just completely out of the blue. I had no idea. You know, I hadn't kicked the football in a month or two. I was, you know, I'd already committed to play soccer at UC Davis, chose my housing, chose my roommate, I was about to choose my classes, and here I am. might change my life. So I thought about it, prayed about it for, for a night, and ended up taking a shot to go to Cal Berkeley because that was my dream school anyways. And I just couldn't pass up you know, Cal football and the opportunity it would bring to me to go to Cal. So I took a chance, and I showed up at Cal. The first day of school was my first practice. I ended up playing in the first game and played for four years. It was a hell of a ride. It was good. There was bad. There was ugly. But it was very impactful. As much on the field as as off the field, as you can attest, I'm sure – the the social growth and the maturity and the experiences that you go through as a student and as an athlete forever changed my life. Now, from a academic standpoint, with my multinational background, I wanted to study international relations. I wanted to be a diplomat. We had we didn't have that specific major at Cal, but we had kind of an area of study that had to do with foreign relations and diplomacy in different countries and different economic and political systems. So that's what I ended up majoring in. Uh, political economy that specialized in international development which you actually went down the road of this continued yeah and i know it got distracted by football but yeah when you what happened post-graduation sure do you want me to go into football or you want to let's 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 do this real quick about about the foreign service because i did apply as a foreign service officer fso is what they call it yeah um it was just going to be it wasn't a full-time post but it was like a two or three year appointment based on specific languages that they were looking for. In this case, there was Mandarin, Chinese, Russian, Arabic, and Spanish. Well, thankfully, Italian is very close to Spanish. I took Spanish in high school, did great. And I took the, I took the foreign service officer test for this position, passed the test, thankfully, barely, <laughs> but, but I passed. <laughs> <laughs> then took the Spanish test, passed it, barely, but I passed. And then I went to the last, last round of interviews, which was in-person interviews, uh, with a couple of foreign service officers. And it was in San Francisco, I remember. I was in a suit and tie at five in the morning outside this office in San Francisco. And I passed, barely, <laughs> but I passed. So I got put on a registrar from where then candidates would get placed to job opportunities as they, as they arose. So essentially, I had a conditional employment with the foreign service, the State Department, with, with the U.S. Foreign Service, the condition being that I get placed in a, in a spot like there's you have 18 months to stay on that registrar uh, so it's kind of like a time limit and yeah the only condition is that you that they need you in that time slot and i remember so this is going to be tying back to football i had to do a pretty extensive background check for that uh, application once i got did you I pass got, i passed barely <laughs> but i passed no it was funny because i had to list out all my employers and my oh, direct supervisor so i had to put like all the special teams coaches that had cut me in in this federal investigator had to call all of them and like basically get them to vouch for my for my character and my integrity and all the stuff that i promised barely promised <laughs> and yeah. one, of the, one of my mentors in football brad seeley was our special teams coach in oakland one day he gets a knock on his office door at the raiders facility in oakland and it's 
hi, this is, this is Wayne from the FBI. I have to talk to you about one of your players. <laughs> and Coach Sealy, when he heard this, he said, oh, my gosh, someone, someone did something in Mexico on vacation, and now he's going to get extradited and thrown in the Mexican jail. And yeah. instead it was Wayne doing a background check, like following through with my references. <laughs> and he just thought it was super funny. He's never had an FBI agent come to talk to him about his players for something positive. <laughs> You consider him a mentor, huh? I do, because he's, yeah. he's, he's the one that got me out of college. So he signed me as an undrafted free agent in San Francisco. And then when he changed sides of the Bay Area, he went from the 49ers to the Raiders, he called me and said, hey, you want to be a Raider? And I said, sure. He goes, no, 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 think about it. You want to be a Raider? I said, coach, I just want a job. And he said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Name all the NFL teams you've played for. 49ers, Packers, Lions, Raiders, Falcons, and Tennessee for two weeks. Six teams. Six teams in eight years, nine years? If that's not a booty call, I don't know what is. Respect, <laughs> respectfully. I want you, Giorgio, this is going to be hard for you, to summarize your NFL journey in one word. Can I use three yes. or four words? Yes. I can make it four if I use dashes. Okay. The best of times, the worst <laughs> of times. Uh, honestly, there's no one who spends more time reflecting uh, or processing events than maybe you. It, certainly in the time spent journaling. And if I remember correctly, you write down what happened, how you feel about what happened, and how you feel about how you feel about what happened. It's heavy. <laughs> I don't know if you're saying that as a good thing or a bad thing. No, I think it's, I think it's good. I, I do think you and I are both prone to maybe overanalyzing things, mm-hmm. which or is over-feeling. not good. Over-feeling. But the, I think the reflection portion of it is good. So I do want you to tell me... What is uh? What do you think one benefit? Because eight, eight years, nine yeah, eight nine years, nine years, six teams, and you haven't had a uh, a full time job that's not football, have you? Well, I mean, I was. It was a full time internship, nine to five. This was in the off season of twenty seventeen. So from February, from late January to mid April, twenty seventeen, I uh, worked for a tech company in the digital marketing space. It's actually a company that my brother worked for, and they had like a three-month training program where they, it was pretty, actually, from what I hear, it's pretty competitive. You apply, you have to do another interview. Passed, barely, <laughs> but, I, but I passed, and I got accepted in this program. It's a three-month training program, and then the tacit implication is that at the end of the program, you get placed either internally with the company or with one of the partner companies in the ad tech space. And I loved it. It was in New York City. I was living on the Upper West Side with a family friend, 12-story uh. penthouse apartment, but football was still kind of pulling on my heartstrings. So I'd get up at six, go kick at Riverside Park. A lot of times I'd just shovel snow to give myself a two by two, two by two square, square yard area, kick into a baseball backstop and then come back, shower, go to work in the World Trade Center. World Trade Center number four, 45th wow. floor. It's pretty cool. So that was, that was like the extent of my full-time job. Just had to throw that out there. So I've, I've interviewed several other uh teammates actually ex-teammates on the show and the the common theme is an abundant amount of sacrifice a massive amount of sacrifice why have you sacrificed this job offer at the Mm -hmm. internship and all the other things that you have for football which reflecting on it you know it's been our as our discussions personally show like it's just a wild ride yeah the the loyalty between teams is thin 
So why why do you continue to do what you're doing in, pers in pursuing football? That's a great question. And we've talked a lot about why. There's been times in my, call it career or journey, where that football why is very clear. There's been times where it's been a little bit more muddled, a little bit more nebulous, a little bit more foggy. I remember in college, there were actually in times of struggle that why became clear. And for me, that why started as I want to serve God because he gives me these talents and I want to grow. Because then if you frame it as a growth mindset, no matter what happens to you, good, bad, or ugly, it's an opportunity for growth. And you can be successful in growing, even if you have the best, the worst day of your life or if you have the best day of your life. You know, if you have great success on the field or if you get cut after a week. So when I frame it in that perspective, then the journey is so rich in, in its fruitfulness of opportunities to grow. Because there's very few jobs or careers or industries where things change so quickly, where so much is expected of you, where you have to sacrifice so much of yourself, but you have so little control over the outcome. And a lot of it is unfairly kind or unfairly cruel. So when, you, when I put myself against that challenge, it gives me purpose. And that's what the why has been for a long time. Again, I, I, I'm trying to reestablish that why now as you start to look at the other passions that emerge in life yeah. as you get older. Whether it's, you know, my girlfriend in Italy, Natalia. <laughs> ciao, 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 ciao. ciao. <laughs> or helping people celebrate life one meal at a time. Or doing crosswords at a cafe. You know, or writing a book. There's a lot of other things that can are now offering that opportunity for growth as well. Have you seen it? Uh, have you seen your growth in football follow the law of diminishing returns? I.e., you've tapped out all potential new experiences and ways to deal with them. I don't think so. Okay. Because football's so dynamic, and that's the irony of it. Our job, especially yours as a snapper, mine as a kicker, the job is so one-dimensional in scope. Same kick, same result. You want to kick it the same way, high, far, and straight. But what you go through and what you experience and what happens to you can be so different from day to day, right? Because all the circumstances change. Sometimes you kick an extra point, sometimes you kick a 50-yard field goal, right? What's asked of you is the same thing, but the context is completely different. Kicking in practice, trying out for a team, kicking in a game, kicking by yourself, kicking in Nashville, kicking in Florida, kicking in California. There's everything is so fleeting and so unpredictable and so dynamic that again, it provides so many opportunities for you to find your best. It, it challenges you to find your best in so many different ways and under so many different circumstances. So I think I'll never tap out on the opportunity for, for growth there. It's just my willingness to sacrifice those, and essentially it's time and energy. My willingness to sacrifice the time and energy that I could invest in other aspects of my life for this chase. Well, these lessons that you've mentioned apply to way more than football. The, the idea of the framework that you're yeah. look, looking at an opportunity or an experience, yeah. you say framing it as a growth, uh, with a growth mindset mm -hmm. and through the monotony of whatever task, I feel like every job is monotonous, right? Like at some point, yeah, it can be like you're even though, Oh my gosh, you're kicking it. The Dallas Cowboys, it's like you do the exact like same, same warm-up, yeah. the exact same pre-game pre ritual, like mm -hmm. everything. Uh, but it's how can you actually look at that and, and continue to grow through, the, through that monotony? But, yeah, I, I mean, your football career 
it, it amazes me that you have the willingness to continue to sacrifice for football when mm -hmm. honestly I got so scarred by football that I, I said, you know what? This is no longer my plan A because it hurts too bad. It's my plan B now. Yeah. I'm going to make it my plan B. So, but to your credit, you, you have continued to, uh, to pursue the dream. And we were talking the other night and I said, Giorgio, how many regular season games have you played? Now, to put this in perspective, you went how many years without actually playing in a regular, regular season game? It took me six years before I made my regular season debut. Six years. All the time that we were in Oakland together, yep. we, we got cut freaking <laughs> one after another. We were walking out of there, tears, yeah. the whole thing. And you told me you played 19 regular season games after six years of nothing. It is amazing, Giorgio, and it's a mm -hmm. testament to your perseverance, and it's a testament to uh, your ability to continue to grow and to get better and to not get discouraged. I think, I honestly think that your the way you relate to people is extremely unique and a Thank benefit you. in the locker room that mm -hmm. the, what the Cal coaches saw, uh, as well as probably a reason that teams like you and, and keep bring you back because that's mm -hmm. happened you signed with the raiders however many times yeah and you've three signed four with, times yeah. same like you've signed multiple times with multiple teams which i think is a testament to your yeah. character but thank you you look you look i want to talk about 11 12 because this is really what i'm excited about <laughs> we can talk football but it's it is what it is but would you say as a whole you look back with positive memories at your time thus far in the nfl on days like today it's hard to say yes but deep down I can't express anything but gratitude if you really think about it. It's just reconciling that internal experience with the external reality. Internal experience being I grew so much and I've experienced things that very few people have the good fortune to experience. I've met people that I would have never imagined meeting in my life. But then the external reality is, but what if I would have played? What if I had made that kick? Or what if I hadn't got cut there? You know, I think as a, as a competitor, you're hardwired to chase more. So it's a delicate balance between reconciling those two, that desire for more and the gratitude for what is, you know, the, is the wine glass half full or half empty. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's, if it's 11, 12, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I do think that and George and I have a knack of getting into philosophical holes, you could say, but I think a world exists where both happen, where you can desire more, but be content with, with where you're at. Meaning, meaning, when I look back on my football career, if I would have gone back to the Raiders for a third time, if I would have signed with the Cardinals instead of the Seahawks with, uh, as my second team, maybe I'd still be playing football with, with both of those teams because yeah. of the, the situation that yeah. after. But now I don't look back on that with regret, and I don't want to change that because I realize, okay, I, I actually have achieved more because those things happen. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. the, the external reality has led me to where I am. Regardless, so that's yeah, and, and and I hear you. I know Steve Jobs says you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. But yes. back to our point about reflecting, I feel like I've been writing a a book, and part of me is writing the book report before I'm done with the book. Now, knock on wood, I'm not done with the book because I want to keep adding different chapters, right? The next team, the next game, whatever. But that desire to understand why the question that you asked earlier, it's very powerful. And it's also a double-edged sword because why can give you motivation, but then why can also lead you down a rabbit hole for answers, which maybe in life, some things are just rhetorical. Things happen and they happen and you deal with it, right? Yeah. There, isn't, there isn't a, 
a, a clear why, you know, yeah. in hindsight. But looking forward, we can decide what that why is inside of all of us. Deep, profound, Giorgio. When I, when I look at the why <laughs> behind this, though, honestly, when you first, well, first of all, thank you for wow. this amazing gift to humanity, Giorgio, but also what we have sitting in front of us. Um, it's such a natural thing because of my experience having one meal at the Tavecchio household and realizing that food, I've been doing it all wrong. No, no. As you guys showed, like it is honestly the best tool and the Tavecchios and probably Italians in general understand this better than anybody, but it's the best tool for connecting, for savoring the moment, for I think in a lot of ways, like some of the best enjoyment in life, I feel like, mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. tapped into through uh, food. And so I don't know if I just stole your reason behind 1112, but I would love to hear the origins of what this is sitting in front of us and, mm -hmm. uh, and what you've learned from it. Well, even this has been a hell of a ride. And as much as it has to do with food, it also, interestingly enough, has to do with football, right? And we can start with the name, 1112. That's actually two jersey numbers, jersey number 11 and jersey number 12. I've never worn number 11. My Italian-American co-founder, Vincenzo Ramato, who was a kicker with me at Cal, never wore 11 or 12. He was always 13. But our two co-founders in Italy in their 40s and 50s, huge American football fans growing up in the 1980s, one was number 11 and one was number 12. And we all met because of American football. Vince and I, being Italian, we would go back to Italy and run camps. And in 2017, we ran a camp in Torino, which is a city in northwestern Italy, along with some of the other Cal Berkeley staff. And it was at this camp that we met these two older gentlemen, Paolo and Davide. And we just immediately bonded around our shared experiences with American football as, as Italians. It's a, it's a unique niche to say, to say the least. Unique intersection of American football and Italian food in that way, or being Italian. And we were sitting around a dinner table, eating delicious food, drinking great wine, and just enjoying each other's company telling stories, connecting, bonding. And we just looked at each other and we said, why is this missing in the U.S.? Not that it doesn't exist, but it's so easy to feel this in Italy. There's something sacred about this time and space around the dinner table with the people that you care about. And you know the, the old cliche is as soon as you sit down in an Italian home, you become family because you're eating with them and blah, blah, manja, manja, right? But, but, but it's, it's true. You know, and as I said earlier, in my own experience as a, as a person, if I don't eat, it's bad. <laughs> so when I eat, it just, it, it just makes me naturally happy because it's a biological fact, you know? <laughs> so the genesis of 1112 was, okay, how do we share the tools to help other people celebrate life? Because it is a celebration of life. Celebrate life one meal at a time. And it doesn't have to be once at an Italian restaurant on Saturday, you spend five hours there. It can be a half a glass of wine as a, as a happy hour drink with your friend, chit-chatting, you know, you vent about your day. That's a moment in time and space that you can connect with somebody. It can be a little, little dessert cookie. Same thing, you know, you're sitting there with your wife, it's been a long day, or, or you know, your friend, whatever, and you're out, and, you're out, and you have a little cookie and you just, you share. These products are a conduit in my mind, to that experience. It's a, it's a very human thing. You have to eat every day, right? Mm -hmm. So why not celebrate? Yeah. And that's, that's the birth of 1112, is helping people celebrate. So we have 
various types of wines, well, seven wines, about 25 pastas, 18 sauces, and that's the initial three categories that we're bringing in to help create these meals, bring more of that experience to the U.S. And then you know, we had recently we've had an artisanal cheesemaker reach out to us, a master chocolatier reach out to us, a craft brewery reach out to us wanting to get on board with what we're doing because we get to tell that story and help people enjoy. Mm. And it's just a beautiful thing. It is, it is amazing. Even when I look back on our time in Oakland, the first thing I think of is our time sitting at the Visatui winery uh, or vineyard, our time going to Sequoia Grove. We went to the William, um, what's the name of it? William shoot. I can't, it's William something vineyard. We went to Frank uh, Coppola. Coppola. Thank you. William. Oh, William Hill. Yes, William, William Hill. Hill. Yeah, that was fun. All involving wine and food, food, and those are the top memories to you know to reinforce the concept that this is something special. But seven wines, mm-hmm. twenty-five pastas, mm-hmm. and eighteen sauces. It's a lot of skews. I love. First of all, it's amazing that you have forty-five. We did. We have coffee, right? We have four different skews. <laughs> it's like so much, dude. Yeah. And then I think 45, I'm like, hats off to you, Giorgio. That is an amazing thing that you've built. Thank you. Personally, I'm most excited about, and I'd love to hear w- what your favorites are because mm-hmm. the 45 is a lot. I know it's all good, but what what are the must-haves? It's The sauces, to me, I think, are the most unique insight maybe into the Italian culture portion of things because mm-hmm. they are uh, – you have – truffle honey Mm -hmm. you have this is bruschetta uh sauce with olives and capers bruschetta Bruschetta. thank you and it is it's it is a really cool bridge to the italian because you can go to the local nashville uh kroger and get a probably a bruschetta i don't even know if you get a a bruschetta sauce but it's not going to have olives and capers in it probably Mm -hmm. and so you guys truly do bring italian food like in its purest Mm mm-hmm and so anyway, that's why I'm pumped about the sauces. But No, thank you. And that's one of the things that we've had, we're most excited about is is the sauces because they're diverse, they're unique, but they're very applicable, they're very relatable. And what I mean by that is, you know, you put them on pasta. You know, you don't have to do something crazy and prepare all, you know, use, use 10 different pans and pots. It's just literally you boil pasta and you put some sauce on it and you're ready to eat. So in 10 minutes, not even... I'd say seven minutes because al dente is better <laughs> with the pasta. In seven to ten minutes, you can have an authentic Italian meal ready on your table. That was brought, like, these hands went to the fertile soil of Piemonte, Italy, <laughs> brought and bring these products to you. There's no one else in between. There's no importer. There's no distributor. It's all, it, it's us. Because when I'm there, this is what I enjoy. And I want other people to enjoy it, too, because I know what that can create. Yeah. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I know. At what point did you decide? Well, so I guess it's when you met David and Paolo. But yeah. like the journey of building this thing, I can't imagine how much you've learned. A lot, it, and it started with that idea, right? We started with that why. Let's help other people celebrate. Okay, what what can we offer? How how do we do this? Well, let's be authentic to who we are as Italians, and what what should we offer? Well, what do we think is is unique to us? Well, these these products are delicious, and they're all from Northwestern Italy, so we're keeping it very typically from that region very very geographically appropriate and uh we just went out and sourced the best we could find (laughs) 
Giorgio's told me about his feelings on Southern Ita- Italians. Or it's a different culture. It's a different culture, right? It's more of like L.A. versus Midwest. Yeah. United it's, States. But, right? but even even more drastic. There's, I'm, I was going to say there's no animosity. But <laughs> this is a completely tangential. But Italy was politically unified in 1870. Up until that point, there was different different city-states and governed by different foreign countries. So the idea of Italians hasn't been along for long enough. There's been people living in Italy for a long time, but Italians, it's a relatively new concept. If I was going to go on 1112.com. 1112USA.com. Thank you, thank you. Thank because you, we are you. proud to be American. That's right. My mom always says. 1112USA.com and buy a meal, mm-hmm. a drink, a sauce, and a mm-hmm. pasta. What would mm-hmm. you... What would you recommend to me? So my first suggestion would start with the antipasto. You know, when you go to Italy, you usually eat something first before you go to the main course. What we have there is the bruschetta with olives and capers. That's a delicious bruschetta sauce. All you need to do is heat up a little bit of bread. You can even put it on crackers. Scoop, scoop that on two or three crackers. Just think because it's a little salty, so it kind of gets, gets you thirsty, gets you hungry in that way. Perfect. Start with that. Then I'd go with the trecce, the organic trecce pasta. Okay. I like trecce because they're like curly looking pasta. It's almost like curly hair and it reminds me of, of my curly <laughs> But they hold, they hold sauce very well. And my favorite pasta sauce that we have is the Ligurian basil pesto. It's Ligurian basil. Liguria is a region in northwestern Italy that buffers Piemonte. It's on the Adriatic. Yeah, the Adriatic coast. No, the Tyrrhenian coast. It's on the, east, it's on the northwest coast of Italy. And for some reason, the basil there grows in a certain way that makes a certain flavor. If you grow that same plant in Piemonte or somewhere else, it's going to taste differently. So it's very flavorful, but it has a perfect balance of flavors between the garlic, the olive oil, and the basil. Okay. And that's the beauty of these products. You don't need a lot of sauce. You don't need, you know, buckets and buckets of sauce and 10 pounds of pasta. There's balance and elegance and elegance and balance. So if you have the right amount the right products that go together right what what grows together goes together all this stuff grows in the same vicinity it pairs perfectly in my mind the ligurian pesto with the organic treccia then for to drink with that i would go with our dogliani wine this is a barbaresco which is a very nice wine it's the little brother to the barolo which is known as the king of italian wines and the wine of kings because torino the capital of that region used to be the seat of the king of italy the, the Savoia family had their, they would rule from there. And those wines are bolder. They're, they're still dry, but they're kind of bolder, more structured, right? The Dogliani, which is made by a Dolcetto grape, and it's my favorite, it's very approachable. It still has that dry feel, but it doesn't, but, but it leaves your tongue a little watery, still kind of hungry. But it has these beautiful hints of like cherry and uh, a little bit of like underbrush berries. You can make up whatever you want, but berries, <laughs> underbrush, underbrush berries. Well, because anytime sottobosco, sottobosco means like under the under the under the bushes because they're berries. So, underbrush berries. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. And and it, and and when when it goes down, it goes down so quickly and just dryly, and it's just like poof, done. It's almost like you didn't drink it. So it was just, it's very very easy to enjoy, and you can enjoy it. At any time of the day. In fact, in Piemonte, they call it the cappuccino of wines because you can drink it any time of the day, morning, lunch, or dinner. I don't, I don't advise that. <laughs> but with our organic treche and the Ligurian basil pesto, I, I think it's a delicious accompaniment. Dude, I'm so glad there's people like you that exist. To take, <laughs> no, no, to take, to take all of the 
knowledge and and care that you have about the culture and the background of all these products and just boom shove it in a can for me so i can just be like yeah that's good it <laughs> tastes good <laughs> but see you know, in the end you bring up a good point it is you have to enjoy it right yeah we just feel like if it's a good product and it has a good story it just makes it more enjoyable but my point in saying that was i feel like looking at this I know that it's going to be looking delicious. at this. You look at me, look at me in the eyes. <laughs> I just know it's going to be delicious because it's like nobody cares like you do. So anyway. So then now we haven't got dessert. Oh, so we had the Doliani, right? Yeah. Go with the pasta. Perfect. Then we have figs in Barolo wine. So figs, the fruit, and they're soaked in Barolo wine, which is the, the more noble wines from this area. And they're nice and sweet, but they have a little bit of tartness because of the wine. It's a perfect little little pa palate cleanser after after the pasta mm. and also, to me that's like again that can be a mundane tuesday and that's what you eat man what a celebration of life yeah. in my mind again this opinion beyond the items how do you how do you recommend people experience an italian meal i'm talking like is everybody on their phones things like this uh, with one one word with love you know and actually know what the word should be respect respect the time that you're sitting at a table and respect the present moment that you're living. And that can go beyond food and wine. Anything that you do, when you really think about it as, as, as humans, the most valuable resource we have is time. It's also among the most scarce resources. We never know how much we got. It's not infinite. So if you live in respect of the moment that you're living, I think then you live a good life. And in this case, if you respect the time that you're eating and what that means to you, not just biologically because you have to eat, but also culturally, like, wow, this is something that someone has taken a long time to produce and it's something that means something to somebody and it's been passed down from generation, right? The different winemaking techniques or the pasta making techniques. I was at the, I was at the facility that makes the pasta. The guy makes it with his hands, you know? So the, the respect of that. And then there's also the respect of yourself to give yourself time to, to enjoy. I, I will say, and I'm just going to try to put this in layman's term for people who probably haven't had a meal with an Italian. You do go about a meal in such a structured, sequential way mm -hmm. where there is, you, you start with the antipasti mm -hmm. and you go to uh, sometimes, I think we had a salad at your mom's house maybe. Mm -hmm. or was that the antipasti? To the entree, to yeah. the dessert, to the limoncello at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, and beyond like the sequence of foods, as you just described, it's also, it is a very intentional thing that you go about with who you eat a meal with matters mm -hmm. to you mm -hmm. and then how you are treating, you know, that experience of, yeah. it, it's just something that you get excited about. You, you do. And it's inspired me, but I don't know, I guess to, to use a different word of, you know, respect the moment, then was it the Romans that said YOLO? Or was it? Or was yeah, it Julius Carpe Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's smart with Julius Caesar. Uh, no, but they also said, I'm pretty sure it was Caesar, and I'll just paraphrase. I think he said, one cannot love well if one has not dined well. Hmm. Or no, it's actually, one cannot think well, live well, or love well if one has not dined well. Wow. As I get older, I'm appreciating the truth of that statement. Uh, but, yeah. it's, it's a definition of hanger. You, know? <laughs> you don't eat, you're hanger. Isn't it so refreshing to think about how much more you've learned 
doing this than maybe through football. I mean, I, not not like personally, not like emotional lessons, sure, but sure, like sure. you've learned how to ship wine yeah. nationally. Yeah. Which I can't even wrap my mind around what that takes, but like you've learned these things. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's it's yeah. inspiring. You have to be proud of yourself, right? Um, I'm very grateful that I've gotten the chance to to learn and grow in this aspect of my life. You know, you're right. It's not as much an internal growth, although there's a lot of things I'm learning about how to run a company, how to manage what we're doing and how to manage my own time and how to make sure that I don't lose that, that we don't lose sight of this, out of the joy that we bring. So there is a lot of internal aspects to running a company, but then there's the external reality of you got to get stuff done, right? Bureaucracy, administration, compliance, yeah. insurance, importing, all, all that stuff. It's just stuff that has to be done. So it's giving me the chance to do things for the first time, make my mistakes, learn from them, understand next time we import a container, next time we got to move kilos, I'll maybe frame it this way and I won't, I won't list the pasta as this product. I'll, I'll put it under this harmonized tariff schedule. You know, so there's, this, there's these little things that you just pick up with that experience that if you're, again, if you respect what you're doing, then you, you can grow from it. I just wish you'd see that you're way more than a football player at some point. But what the, what's next for you, Georgie? Well, an aperitivo with you. We'll go get dinner somewhere. Yeah, come for <laughs> it, please. What's next? I don't know. I just try to stay stay grateful. You know, as we've talked, you know, there's there's so many ups and downs in football, and it's so hard. Well, it's not hard. It's very easy to get be jaded and and bitter and wish things would work out a certain way or not. And then when you really take a step back and you look at how lucky you are that we get to breathe, you know, and that you got good people in your life and that life goes on, it's it's beautifully existential in that way. There's always tomorrow will be there and you just, you move on. You start to realize that there are people that care about you and you focus your time on those people, right? Like Dr. Seuss, sorry, I just cut you off. Dr. Seuss, those that mind don't matter. Those that matter don't mind. Yeah. And he was a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) What are we we doing? What are we doing? Dude, there's so many (laughs) life lessons that we could just unpack of of what you've addressed. Honestly, it's like, I mean, it's good stuff. But when you reflect over your life, your career, football, if you had to share three of the most valuable lessons that you've learned, maybe it's someone who's told you them or maybe it's you experientially learning them, what would those lessons be, Georgie? You can have a minute to think. Sure. Well, the first one comes to mind. Is it okay if I cuss? Yeah. I apologize. For My mom always told me, Shit makes the best fertilizer. (laughs) Actually, no, she said shit happens and it makes the best fertilizer. (laughs) So that idea that stuff is just going to happen, you know, and you just deal with it. It's it's very pragmatic, but you can you can make it a very philosophically deep thing if you approach whatever you're going through with that level of respecting the opportunity that it presents. Mm -hmm. Much, much, much easier said than done. The next respect to me, it's, it's a word that keeps coming to mind. Respect everything, respect the people you're around, respect the time that you're spending and you're investing, respect yourself. And if you have respect and love in what you do, if that's a part of all your intentions and your actions, you can never go wrong because you're going to treat people well. You're going to treat yourself well. You're going to treat the environment around you well. And you're going to make the most of your time here on earth because you respect what you do. You don't ever take it for granted. And I think the, the, the last part, which kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of respect, is just 
gratitude in that every day is a gift. Every upper, everything that happens to you in a way is a gift. And it's our job to unpack it, appreciate it, look at it objectively, and find a way to, to learn from it. So if you, if you can live with those few things, then you'll live a very rich journey. And that's, you know, if I had to describe maybe my football journey in one word and not be facetious or not be bitter, I'd say, or jaded, I'd say rich. It was very, very, very rich. I'm 30 years old, but I feel like I've lived 100 years worth of life, in all honesty, mm-hmm. because of the richness of the experiences. Who's your, you, you mentioned Sealy as a mentor. Mm-hmm. Who are other role models or mentors that you have? A lot. I've got to say my parents. I mean, that's, love you, Ma. <laughs> parents, just because of the way they've, they've yeah. carried themselves, the way they've lived their lives. I mean, I'll even put my younger brother, because he's jumped into a career, moved to another country, and just jumped headfirst into something and really has made a good career for himself. And, and I really respect how he's challenged himself to do that. I mean, and, I, and I, I see you as a role model too. I know you mentioned this earlier that I inspire you for certain things, but I'm just a cheese ball. When I look at you, what you've been able to accomplish, but not just what you've accomplished and maybe how you've done it, but like why, you know, cause you're a good guy, smart, you're curious, you're driven, and all those things come out in, in, in what you do. And I really respect how you go about what you do. It's just something that when I look at, man, he's you know, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of irons in the in the fire or a lot of forks in the pasta, you know. <laughs> and he's I sorry, I just I made that right. up. But I respect that because I think it, it takes in a way it takes a lot of humility too, because you're gonna fail, you know. And you're gonna get messed up and, and you're gonna encounter challenges obstacles and it takes a lot of strength to keep going so i respect you for what you've been able to accomplish as a family man as a as a football player too but again i respect you probably more so than anything as a person another role model we'll go back to football in a way uh give me a couple of them here so keep up with me sorry doug bryan was a kicker at cal long before me but he was all-time leading point scorer when i was in school he played in the 90s Drafted by the 49ers, won a Super Bowl his rookie year, played 10 years. I think he retired as the top 10 most accurate kickers in NFL history. And then he started a real estate company that went public, like a real estate tech company that went public, you know, wow. 10 years ago. Not, not 10 years ago, but like five, six years ago. And I was working for him for a while, too. Started another company that's doing really well. Like for him, football was like, oh, by the way, I played 10 years in the NFL. He's got so much other stuff going on from an, an entrepreneurial point of view. I just I respect so much people who can accomplish such great feats in one aspect of life and then all of a sudden turn around and, and just reinvent themselves on something else and have that same level of accomplishments. But don't you think it's true that if you're successful at one thing, you've developed the skills to be successful at anything? True, true. But I define success not just as what you accomplish, but who you are. And I, I know Doug relatively well. I know he's a good guy. So, But I just really respect these, these, these external things that he's accomplished. Because, yes, he probably goes about his job the way he does and that's what makes him successful. He's a brilliant mind, very super laser-like focus, which is from football, probably. Uh, Justin Tucker, I'll throw that out there, too. Again, another kicker. The way he steps on the field, he's like, a, he's like an opera singer. And I know he sings opera. Now, he, speaks seven, he sings in seven languages. I can speak four, so. <laughs> he actually, I didn't know this. Yeah, he can, he's an opera singer. He, studied, he um, majored in music at the uh, University of Texas. I only know that because we played our last college game against each other. Huh good dude great kicker and he just when he steps on the field he brings such a personality and such a confidence 
I really respect what he how he goes about his business. Um, another role model. I guess those are. Well, those, I, I I just thought of this question. I'm curious if you have an answer for it. Do you remember the best meal that you've ever eaten and what it was? Maybe it's a not fair question, but if anyone has the answer to it, you have. There's a lot of meals that stick out. A lot of moments, really. I don't see them as meals. I see, I see them as moments. But there's one in particular. I was in Italy in 2019 in the spring, and I was I was with my colleagues, and I had my, at the time, I was on the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Bosher, who was the punter there with me, he had come to Italy with me, and we were in the Langit region, which is where all our products are from, and we were at a Michelin star restaurant. Mm. And it's and it's easy to say, oh, I, the best meal was at a Michelin star restaurant, but the experience, the experience. <laughs> <laughs> we had 10 or 12 courses and I'm not saying plates of food but just the way and the 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 the, the head chef and owner and the head chef's name is Michelangelo Michelangelo Mammoliti I think is his last name the way he went about crafting the flavors together presenting them in a in a different new way having them explode in your mouth with flavor and paired with the perfect wine that accentuates the flavor and goes down because it's the it's just it's the perfect amount of food and wine and it's just it's not overwhelming that balance and the dance between the flavors was something i've never experienced in my life mm. and i'm not talking about oh it was like the best food i've ever eaten but just it, it was the, the flavor everything was delicious but just the experience of seeing these things go together and the way he was creative with these different herbs and spices he was big into like growing different types of legumes and it's just like man i would have never thought to present it in this one you did and it's just delicious and it looks beautiful it was a, a sensory a psychosensory <laughs> overload psycho spiritual sensory overload mm. well that so that 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 experience because to me it's not meal it's an experience right or the experience of sitting at my grandma's table and she used to make this essentially it wasn't really a brisket i'd call it more nice and it's not really meat love because it was just all beef but it was just like a these thin slices of beef that were marinated overnight with garlic and rosemary no it wasn't rosemary garlic and parsley with these just velvety airy mashed potatoes and mm. we would just be eating that that was something that she would make you know once a week and we were just sitting at her table in Sarono, Italy eating that as a family it's just like that the, those flavors and the people I'm sharing it with, like that means so much to me. You yeah. know, another dish. Sorry, and I know I don't want to spend too much of your time. <laughs> yeah. And we gotta go to work, and you know, we gotta go get our aperitivo. Polenta is a very traditional dish from my area of northern Italy. Polenta is like Italian cornmeal, but from my area, up in like the mountains close to Lake Como, they have what's called polenta uncha. Uncha means like greasy. So it's just it's a specific grain of polenta made with ton of olive oil ton of garlic and a special cheese that's from that area and it's just like a big old grease bomb but when i go up there it's usually like a family reunion we go up to this tiny little it's not even a restaurant it's like a little bar that has a little one seating area you know one table in the back would be perfect for covid just one <laughs> one one table back there you know in, in in a town of 20 people and we just have this polenta uncha with with a big old bottle of red wine red table wine it's just like Bringing me to that, to eat that, is like an experience of being with my family, the roots and the history of my family, surrounded by family and friends and cousins, you know? Mm. So it's, it's, these, it's these meals. And then, you know what? Let's bring it to the 21st century. Sorry, guys. I know I'm taking it forever. When we would have breakfast, 
in training camp. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I would always get a little bit of eggs, a little bowl of fruit, and oatmeal. <laughs> he would get the crossword puzzle. The crossword puzzle, yeah. And the milk. <laughs> so we would do the crossword together a little bit. You know, we just kind of sharpen Giorgio, our minds. Giorgio, side note, is a freak at crossword. Yeah, but only the USA Today because it makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> but we would share the little half carton of milk because you would use it for half of your oatmeal and I would use the other half to pour in my oatmeal. It's just that moment when you're in that space and you're, you, know, you have to be perfect that day because you're a specialist. You don't have that many chances and you're just waking up and there's that optimism as you slowly awaken yourself to the challenge of that day. And we would do that together at that table and it became a routine. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's not a meal. That's a memory. That's a moment. Yeah. And that's something that stands out. And I got so many of these where just, I can, I remember what I was eating, but it was also important who I was eating it with and how I was eating it and what frame of mind I was in and what frame of spirit I was in that yeah. makes it special. Sorry. I, that's my monologue, man. What a joy it was to meet you and to get to know you when we were on the same team. And it's been a blast to see you more from a distance the last two or mm-hmm. three years uh, accomplish, now, accomplish so many things. Now up close and personal these past couple of weeks. Gosh, it's <laughs> been a, uh, just an amazing experience. And, you know, you've been probably just overdoing it with the gratitude of like, oh, why would you give me your truck to, to use? Or why would you, you know, let, let me into your home? It's like I... I view you as such a close, dear friend, Georgia. So I hope you know that. And uh, and I'm excited for how you grow. I'm excited to watch 1112 grow, to let it grow my, to let it grow me as far as, you know, weight on the scale. Mine. <laughs> I'm just going to be eating pasta for days. But I am thankful for you, Giorgio, and I appreciate you giving me this past hour. You can. I gave you gave me this past hour. This was a beautiful moment that I got to share. Again, one of our many memories. Because there's times where, man, you forget how many people, how many good people you have in your life. Yeah. So these moments remind me of how lucky I am to have such good people in my life too. Yeah. At this point with you, I do. I do think of football and think, oh, and by the way, Georgia plays football because you're so much more. But anyway, uh, yeah. Thanks for the memories.